This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. All right, Acts chapter 2. As we approach Acts chapter 2, uh, this will help you understand as I read this today and even break down uh, as we're reading. Acts chapter 2, uh, I was raised in or a part of for a, a specific amount of time, for a very uh, significant amount of time of my life in the Pentecostal or in the charismatic church. And so Acts chapter 2 was our jam, right? Uh, that, was, uh, that was our chapter, the, the day of Pentecost, the falling of the Holy Spirit. And we loved to start in Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you shall receive power, right? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? And, and so uh, uh, we love chapter 1, verse 8, and then we skip over what Wayne talked about last week, and we dive right into chapter 2, right? Where the, the Holy Spirit comes in power. That whole waiting text that Wayne went over was is a mistake, right? Uh, uh, we don't want to wait. Uh, so he talked about waiting last week, and then this week we're going to dive into, honestly, um, one of my personal favorite stories in Scripture, but also uh, why is this important for us today seems to be a lot of people's questions. And I hope today that as we approach this text, that we approach it with a couple of things, that we come into it with a heart to hear, to listen, to understand, and then we also come with a heart to receive. All right, so let's stand together. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. And remember, as we are reading, um, this is God's word. That's why we stand. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house that they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire approached them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these things, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And now is it that they that we hear each one in his own native language? Parathians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesotopia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and and Phrygia and Egypt to the parts of Libya and belong to the Cyrenes and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked and said, They were filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Scripture is powerful. Scripture is God's story. It's the the big story of the whole world. 
God communicating with us, his people, his very inspired, written, powerful, inerrant. His word is true. But one that ends up happening for us is that communication goes two ways. There's the speaker and there's the listener. And often what ends up happening in communications, if you've ever taken a communications class, often what ends up happening is that what happens in communication is the listener puts himself in a position of authority. That no matter what I hear, I believe that I heard it accurately and correctly. It doesn't matter what they meant or how they said it or the intention of it. I believe I heard it correctly. And so I become the authority on it. That's why social media and these things can be pretty dangerous. Because we're not in front of each other's faces and we read something from a distance and we look at it and we immediately assume from behind our screens that we know what they meant when they said it, right? And we always put ourselves in a position as we are listening to believe that they're talking about us. Now this is important for us because there are problems with our approach to listening. Not with God's approach in communicating, but with our approach to listening. That's why Jesus would often say as he was speaking, those who have ears, let him what? Hear, because the hearing side of this is extremely important. Not just me preaching it, but us hearing it. We need help to hear. Because the seed has power in it. The Word of God has power in it. But it's the soil in which it falls on that often has the most problems. It has the most problems. And I want this to bear fruit in us, but I also want us to see that what ends up happening as we hear texts like this is we immediately run it through our forms of listening. And here's, here's one of the ways in which we have problems because of how we approach a text like this. One is we immediately put this in the context of duplication versus continuation, meaning this. We look at something like this day of Pentecost, and we start to ask the question, should this be duplicated today? Should what we read here be duplicated today? Because obviously, the most significant thing about the whole world is what is happening now. Right? That's at least in our world. So we're asking questions like, should this be duplicated? And some of our biggest struggles with interpreting a text like this is the reality of we are not looking in interpretation of, is this a continuation and, and that we could talk about, but we're talking mostly, is this still being duplicated today? And I, I want us to be clear that as you read a text like this, it's only new through listening and hearing that you start to hear these questions of duplication. And, and my biggest problem, I guess, with, with, with the idea of, of those that I've been a part of for a long time, Charismatics and, and Pentecostals, is that they speak of, of, of Pentecost in the terms of duplication rather than in the terms of is the, how does this look continuing on throughout all of history. Because here's what I want us to be clear on. What we are reading today is not just about duplication. 
amazing because we don't look at the work of Christ on the cross. Remember, we talked about the, the, what the gospel talks about, his death, burial, and resurrection, and what? The coming of the Spirit. We don't look at his death and say, will Christ ever be crucified again? And will he ever be rose again? No, we don't talk about that in context of duplication. We say, that's a finished work. And when we look at something like the day of Pentecost, we have to understand that this is not about duplication. This is powerfully significant for the church, for all of history. And this is something that we need to see and understand, not something that will be duplicated. This is powerful. We also need to understand that we ask questions like, is this prescriptive or descriptive? This idea of, is this something that's being prescribed to the church that we have to do? Or is he describing something? Acts 2 is a description of a day of Pentecost. And we're going to talk about this day of Pentecost. And the only way we can understand this is if we get out of the micro-narrative realities, like small story where we get so trapped in our own little world and so trapped with us at the center of our narrative that we miss the big story of all the world. And so what I'm hoping to do is zoom out so that we can see the significance of the day of Pentecost in the entirety of the story. So that when we see this day, we'll start to understand its power, its significance, and what this meant for all of the story throughout all of history, this big picture. Because if you zoom in on the day of Pentecost, what you can end up doing is twisting things rather than seeing its beauty. The other thing that I think we have problems with is we like to package things, meaning we like to go, how, what do I need to do or what do we need to do as the church today to see this kind of power in our lives? And so we go, well, if I wait, if I pray a lot, if I read scripture a lot, if I do these things, if I do this, then what I'll do is I will earn this kind of package deal. And so the danger is if I stand up here and say, look, church, if you do this, 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 and this, I'm going to package up the Holy Spirit for you. You can earn him. If you pay this price, he will pour himself out on you. And I'm not here to package up the Spirit, right, and sell them to you based on your works. That's not what happens. The other thing that's dangerous is not only packaging up the Spirit and making it something we could earn, is rejecting it. Because there are many people who say, well, that was just for then, and I don't need it now, and reject the Spirit. You need the Spirit. Packaging it or rejecting it is going to get us into a spot where we don't understand what's happening. What we need is to learn what does it mean to receive, to receive this gift, this beautiful, wonderful, powerful, necessary gift. In order for us to get this story right, church, we got to remember what we talked about the first week, and that is this. Acts is about the ministry of the resurrected Jesus. The center of the book of Acts is Jesus resurrected, doing his work, seated at the right hand of the Father, and that when you look at the book of Acts, you're going to need to say this, Jesus is alive and still at work through his people by his Spirit. 
What you see in all of the Gospels is the incarnate Jesus and his ministry. What you see in the book of Acts is the resurrected Jesus and his ministry through his spirit, through his people. I want to remind us of this quote John Stott says this, this is the kind of Jesus Christ that we believe in. He is both the historical Jesus who lived and the contemporary Jesus who lives. Church, we don't need to downplay or underplay the cross, but we do need to give as much emphasis to his resurrection. I was talking to somebody who went to a bunch of Easter services and asked them, hey, how were the different services at different places you had went? And, you know, they kind of checked out a bunch of them. They said, well, most of them talked more about his death than his resurrection. And I realized this is an epidemic. We have grown so used to just talking about a dead Jesus. Listen, he died for us. And I, I'm not, we don't have to downplay this, but the power of the gospel is not just his death alone. It's that he died and rose again. Jesus is alive. And the church, hear me on this, the church throughout Acts was his witness to his resurrection. That people could still see through his people that he was alive. And that he was not in the grave any longer. But that he rose and that he was ascended and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is what we see here. The significance of this in Acts chapter 2. In this day of Pentecost. Now first let's talk about what is the day of Pentecost. Now... Pentecost commemorated God's giving of the written law to Moses on tablets. Now, all of the people, all the Jewish people would come together on the day of Pentecost as a remembrance of what took place in Exodus chapter 19, where Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai and receives the law. Now, I want you to hear Exodus 19, because this is powerful. Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and thick clouds on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like a smoke of, of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Notice this. What they are remembering on the day of Pentecost is the day in which God came, Moses ascended. 
There was thunder and fire and clouds. And he wrote on tablets, on stone, his laws. You see, the law came to his people, and the law was what made them a unique people. His presence amongst them and him giving him God's laws, those things in which they, and they made a huge deal out of these laws, as they should. These were God's word to his people. Now, no matter how hard they tried, no matter how hard they worked, they couldn't live by these laws, and they couldn't live up to these laws, and they were constantly failing these laws. But these laws, to them, were what made them special. Their circumcision and their laws. Now, I hope you're starting to put some puzzle pieces together here. Because here in the Old Covenant, what they're remembering on the day of Pentecost is the day in which the law came from the Old Covenant to establish a covenant between God and his people, right? And so now on the day of Pentecost, after Christ's finished work on the cross and his resurrection, he comes in fire. And instead of Moses ascending up to the top of the mountain, God's spirit is descending in fire upon his people and he's writing a new covenantal law. That law is not going to be written on stone like it says in, in, in Exodus chapter 19 and, and all the way through those, those texts. It's not going to be written on stone. It's going to be written as Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 15 through 16 that the Spirit comes and writes that law on the hearts of His people. This is a new Pentecost. This is the new law. This is the establishment of that this law that was what they thought made them a special people is now this new covenantal law that's written on the hearts of his people by his spirit. The thing that makes us special. His spirit. What you have to see is that as he came in Exodus 19, with fire and wind and power. And he came on this day as they're remembering on the day of Pentecost and commemorating. Listen, this was fresh in the hearts and minds of the people who were gathered in Jerusalem to come from all the corners of the earth all the people of God coming from all corners of the earth, speaking all kinds of language and tongues to remember this old law. Listen, it's not by accident that he said to wait and that he came by his spirit on the day of Pentecost and didn't call Moses up to the top of the mountain while the people said he came down ascended. And notice how he describes what took place as tongues of fire. Now, what you have to understand about this is this is the best way the narrator could write this. If you really start to, uh, to study this, 
This is a, a narrator's way of explaining what took place in a moment in time because a lot of us get real literal. Like you're, So you're telling me there was like a, a tongue just flapping over the top of their head and fires coming off? Maybe. But it's more likely that what's happening is this narrator, Luke, if you will, is trying to lose, use language to describe something that cannot be described. He's saying it's kind of like, it's, it's like as, like a, a tongues of fire. It's, he's trying to describe something. Now, if you've never had this experience before, you won't understand this. But if you've ever gone somewhere, like for me, when I went overseas and I, I was on this missions trip and I experienced all these things and God was moving in powerful ways and I come back and I go through a little bit of shock because everybody goes, tell me about what happened there. And I start to try to articulate the things that happened to me and the things that God was doing. And they're kind of like, guess you had to be there, right? Because you're kind of like saying, it's like, and it's a little bit like this, and, and this is happening, and this is taking place, and this is what, did, I did, and I don't know. And they're like, okay. You can see this kind of description taking place as he's trying to use metaphors, and he's trying to use descriptive words to explain the power in which came, but he's also linking it, if you will, to the whole story, because when God's presence would show up, he would show up with fire, with power, with wind, and you, you could see this historic connection and this prophetic significance and all of the things that are happening. This is a powerful moment in the entirety of the story. So significant that as you're going to hear next week when Pastor Wayne breaks down Peter's address where he stands up boldly, what Peter does in explaining this is saying, look, what you're seeing and you think is weird and new and drunk people, this is old and it's tied to prophecies and it's tied to all of the story. This has been told about for a long time. Don't miss the significance in the entirety of the story. You see, this is rooted in the promises of the Father that he would send his spirit. Not only is it rooted in the giving of the law, it's rooted in the reversal of Babel. Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. If you don't know the story of Babel, you should write down Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. And, and I, I'm not going to read all of it, but let me read just a couple of verses. The whole world had one language and one common speech. They said to each other, come now, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So let's make them real hard like stone. There's the hardness. Let's make it real strong and sturdy. And then they say, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven so that we can make, here's the two things, so that we can make a name for ourselves and that we will not have to be scattered into the whole earth. The motives for building this tower, Babel, was so that they could make a name for themselves and that they could not be scattered to the ends of the earth, that they could be their own secluded 
special people. God sees this and comes down and sees the wickedness and rebellion of these people. And what does he do? He screws up all their languages so that they cannot communicate with one another. And what ends up happening? Because they can't communicate, they divide and scatter into all places of of the world. You see the complete reversal of this in the sending of his spirit in Pentecost. It's the reversal of Babel. What ends up happening is the spirit of God comes down and gives his people not separate languages, but one language. This new language. And that this language is heard and understood by all languages. And this language is declaring the great and mighty works of the Lord. And this language, hear hear me on this, is uniting his people. And not just uniting his people, but he's uniting his people around this. What? Not making a name for themselves, but in the declaration of of the name of Jesus. So that through the coming of his spirit, people are united and sent into all of the world. Not to live in seclusion, not to live in isolation, not to live in these little in this little pocket, but that the glory of the Lord would cover the whole face of the earth, that all nations, tribes, tongues, and people, Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. You what you're seeing here is prophetically significant. What you're seeing here is promised by the Father, and what you're seeing here is a completion of all that has been promised in Christ through through the narrative, all of these things. This moment is powerful. The day of Pentecost is a reversal of Babel. It's a a coming of this new law. It's an establishment of this new covenant. What we're seeing here is that the church, his people, are being marked with a new covenant that is marked with and solidified and sealed by his spirit so that they could be united together and be a witness to all of the earth. Church, you are a part of a big story. And here's the good news. You're not the center of it. This has been promised throughout all of history. This has been continued to be prophetically declared. This has been completed in Christ and in the coming of his spirit and all that we see in his death, burial, resurrection, and in the sending of his spirit is him showing that he has completed the work in which he has promised and that his father has sent forth and it is a part of a bigger story. And where we get off when we start looking at stories like this is when we try to make our name great and put ourselves at the center of the story. Because here's what we miss. We miss that this story is not about you. This story is not about your significance. This story is not about what does this mean for me. That's not what it's about. We should be gloriously caught up and overwhelmed by the bigness of this moment. 
But everything in us wants to shrink it down to, what does this mean for me? And I say this with all due respect. Who cares? It's much bigger than me. It's much bigger than all of us. It's much more powerful than do I speak in tongues or don't I speak in tongues. It's much more beautiful. It's much more glorious. This is a beautiful story of which we should sit in awe of. God has fulfilled his promise. God has established a new covenant and God has poured out his spirit upon his people. That's amazing. And when you get wrapped up into this big story, here's what you start to see. One, the Spirit is always given for the purpose of mission and not for the purpose of selfishness. Always. I'm going to use this example just because it relates to me, and it may not relate to some of you, but... In, in circles that I was raised in, it was a big, big, huge, huge deal to say that if the Spirit descends on somebody, the evidence of that Spirit coming on them is speaking in tongues. And I don't want to get into these, those arguments. I just want to use this as an example. That is the evidence of if the Spirit is on them. Now, the problem with that is there are multiple times that when the Spirit came, People spoke in tongues. You'll see that throughout Acts. But there are other times where the Spirit comes and they don't speak in tongues. Okay? So there's inconsistency. We could argue, well, maybe they just didn't write it. They didn't need to write it. It was assumed. All these kinds of things. We could argue that. Or we could say, there is one evidence in which you look at every time the Spirit falls in power, this happens every time. What is that? They receive boldness to be witnesses to the end of the earth. I'm going to tell you this. The evidence of someone having the Spirit fall on them in power is they have a new boldness to declare the wonderful works to the ends of the earth. They're not ashamed of the gospel. We could walk around and shrink it down and start saying, well, how do I know if I have the Spirit or if I don't have the Spirit? We could get into those debates, but I will tell you this. When you see the Spirit of God on someone, there is a boldness. A boldness to declare the wonderful works. And I'm not just talking about uh, Peter who stood up and, and gave this big message here. We're not all Peter. I'm not saying we all stand in congregations and declare. But these people in the streets had something different about them. And that difference was the Spirit was upon them that they would be a witness. People who have the Spirit are witnesses. And what we try to do is make it this selfish thing. But selfishness and pride is what the Spirit rejects. What the Spirit does is a mighty work to turn your selfishness and your focus on yourself to a focus on the ends of the earth, on others. 
on loving and caring and declaring the works of Jesus, on bringing his power through miracles and signs, and and that those miracles and signs, hear me on this, the things that God does through us are not so we can say, look at me. It's so we can say, ah, that was obviously God. (laughs) That signs and wonders and miracles and those powerful things are to follow us. We're not to chase them. Those things will happen through faithful people who are on mission, who are doing the works of the Father. These are not things that we should turn on ourselves. And when you look at moments like this, you must remember that this gospel that has been sent, this spirit that has been given to us, is to empower us to go to the ends of the earth. What else is it? The Spirit of God always brings unity. Always. Hey, let's not talk about gifts of the Spirit and all the kinds of things that we want to talk about when we get to texts like this without laying it on a foundation that the gifts of the Spirit bring unity, not division. And it seems like the spiritual gifts have become a divisive point for a lot of people. God's Spirit makes us one. It makes us one people who love one another. It draws all nations and tribes in. It takes this gospel that would seclude us and it makes it this, bring us all in. It brings us into a spirit of unity. We can't be selfish, but we must be united, living on mission. Uh, I will tell you this. Those are two very true things for me when I talk about how much I need the Spirit, I see my deficiency in living on mission and in living in unity. And I say, if that's going to happen, I need the Spirit. To live as one. To live turned towards others. I need the Spirit. The other thing that we must remember is that Scripture says, and even Jesus said this to his disciples, listen, wait, wait. Stay in the upper room and wait. Wait for what? What do we do while we wait? What are we supposed to do? Well, they prayed. They studied Scripture. And the funny thing is, is even last week, while you were studying uh, chapter 1, there was mentions of the Holy Spirit. So listen, Acts chapter 2 is not the coming of the Spirit. The Spirit's been there. The Spirit's at work. It's Him showing up in power. Right? Right? The thing we have to learn about the Spirit is there is nothing we can do to control it. I don't care how long you pray, how long you fast, how long you do your spiritual works, because people may tell you, listen, you want the Spirit to come? Go do this, 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 and this. And if they do that, please remind them that Jesus says the Spirit or the wind does what he wants When he wants, he blows where he wishes, he goes where he wants to go, he shows up how he wants to show up. You cannot control the Spirit. He is a part of, he is in oneness with, he is sovereign. They didn't get in the upper room and pray so hard that Jesus goes, okay, you earned the Spirit now. Sovereign God sent his spirit to come to do what he has been 
promising and prophetically declaring, the Spirit shows up in power. And this is the times in which we need to remember that when we see God show up through His Spirit in powerful ways, our first question should not be, how do we have that happen again? You never see the disciples go, let's go back into the upper room. Let's lock ourselves in there. Let's pray again. I want to see those tongues of fire one more time. You never see them going after duplication. Because they knew they couldn't control it. They knew they didn't do anything to make it happen. They knew they didn't have any power over it. But what you do see throughout the book of Acts is the Spirit continuing to come and showing up in powerful ways. Healing. Touching. Delivering. And I'm going to tell you this. There are moments in my life where I can see the Spirit of God showing up in powerful ways. I could give story after story after story of God's Spirit showing up in powerful ways. But there's also moments in my life where the Spirit is there and at work and comforting, and maybe you don't see it in power, but it doesn't mean He's not there. The Spirit, hear me on this, is not a power for us to control. He is a person who is God who we need to submit to. We need him. Church, we are nothing without him. For us to have active and living faith, for us to be in unity, for us to do any of the works that we need to do as his people, for us to walk faithfully before him, for us to have his, his heart and, his, and covenant with him, for us to be in relationship with him, for all of that we have, for all that we are, for all that we do. We need his spirit. I, I pray this, that we get wrapped up in God's story so deeply that we are overwhelmed by his power to fulfill his promises and do what he says he's going to do. So much so that we look at a story like this and go, he said he's going to do it, he, he's going to do it. And that I get to be brought into it. And that we look at the significance of this moment and many of us are in places of our lives where we need God to show up in power and we need him to do things that we, if we could, we, could, we would try to control. Do this, do this, do this. Rather than posturing ourselves in a place of how much we need him. Come, comfort me in this time. Come, help me. Come, lead me. Come, do this work. I need your spirit. I need your help. When I read stuff like this, I'm not in it going, how can I duplicate this? But it does create a hunger in me. It does create in me a hunger for his spirit. Not that I don't have him, because as his child, I've been given his spirit but I want him near. And there are moments in which 
I may feel far and I'm in that moment of waiting and some of you are waiting and we're praying and it doesn't mean that he's not there but we haven't seen him and we're not experiencing him in ways and, 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 and here's what we can do. We can acknowledge how much we need him. And we can continue like the disciples did in the upper room to pray, to study scripture and to gather together and not forsake each other. They stayed united. And in those places, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see moments where the Holy Spirit will show up in power and we will be like, God is so crazy. And that's what you're going to see all the way through the book of Acts. This continuation of the Spirit coming and the people of God living on mission, receiving a boldness, living in unity, confronting sin, repenting of sin, This is the establishment of a new covenant, ascending out of his people, and the ministry of the rec- a resurrected Savior. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm praying for a couple things as we gather around this table today. I'm praying that you will drink deeply of this cup that you will eat of this bread, that you will remember the work that Christ has done for you, that you will know that it's not by your works, it's not by your good efforts, that you have received this precious gift, that you will fellowship with your, your Lord and Savior, That as you repent and turn from dependence and selfishness on yourself, turn from away from making ourselves at the center, that we would set our hearts and minds upon who Jesus is and the covenant that's been established with us. And that we would know that we've been given His Spirit. But some of us, as we are partaking of this, would like me, say, I need His Spirit. I've often been depending just upon myself. We, His church, we need His Spirit. We cannot do this in our own strength. That we have been given this Spirit, that we are filled with His Spirit, that we have His Spirit. And we want Him to lead us and guide us to show up in powerful ways, to direct us, to do his work through us, that we would be caught up in this story, that we would live boldly as witnesses, that we would live in unity as his people, that we would see that we are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. So church, I'm asking us as you come to the table, as we sing these songs, as you pray, I'm going to pray for his spirit to move in our hearts. There's things that I cannot say, I can't do, I can't make us hear or understand, but I know that the spirit of God in ways is moving in you, in very unique and specific ways. He's moving in us as a community. So Lord, I'm asking that you would send the very 
beautiful way, powerful way, your spirit. We know that we've been given it, confirming us that we have it, that we're filled with it, can show us that we are your children. Uh, Lord, we need to hear it from you. Some of us feel far and distant. Lord, some of us are just hungry and thirsting after you. I pray that today they would be filled by, by you, by your Spirit, confirming them once again. Lord, I pray that you would make us your people living on mission, that this world would know your good name, that we're not trying to make a name for ourselves, but that your fame and your name would spread throughout this earth, that you would make us a people displaying the wonderful works of the gospel to the ends of the earth. All nations and tribes, Lord, I pray that we would continue to live as a church in unity, that you would bring all nations, tribes, tongues, that we as people would have very diverse community where only it is your spirit bringing us together. We ask all these things in your name. Everybody said, the table is open. Let's fellowship together. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.